Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning, everybody. That's pretty good. I still don't understand why Marcus always gets more than everybody else, but it's fine. Um, so if I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Eric. I am a pastor in training uh, here at City Church. So we're going to be jumping around to a few different passages today, um, but we're going to start off in that Second Peter passage in verse 3, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, also, we're going to see if for the first time in three weeks I can successfully use this microphone without it explosively feeding back like it has for basically the last month. So wish me luck. There is no plan B. I don't have another microphone up here, so we'll see what happens. I'll just talk loud if it goes out. <clears throat> but if I have not had the chance to meet you yet, I would love to be able to do that. Um, if you want to come up afterwards or um, just grab me at some point, would love to do that. Uh, if you have been coming around for a while or just uh, need a reminder, we have been going through a series called uh, In Knoxville As It Is In Heaven. So we have spent the last six weeks uh, leading up to this week looking at different characteristics of the new heavens and the new earth according to scripture. Um, and we've also been talking about the different ways that um, we as followers of Jesus now live in light of some of those realities on a hands-on level in our, in our daily lives. So today, we are going to cover uh, one last really important aspect uh, of how we bring heaven to earth. But before we get into the specifics of what that is, I would love to take a second uh, to just pray for us, and then we can jump into it. Uh, dear God, we just thank you so much for today, for the, for the opportunity we have to uh, learn from your word um, I just pray that your spirit would be uh, moving and active here today, that we would have uh, ears to hear what it is you have to say, um, even if it's something we've heard countless times, that um, we would just be able to hear it through you in a way that we've not, not heard or experienced before, and that we would be able to um, yeah, learn to just become more like you through, through what we're learning today um, as we try to, try to bring uh, aspects of heaven to earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so like I said, first place we're looking today is in 2 Peter. Um, so if you want to look there, you can. We're also going to have this up on the screen if you, want to, uh, if you don't want to turn there. But verse 13 in chapter 3 says, But in keeping with his promises, or with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So that last part is, is something we want to pay really close attention to. So what, what does he say dwells in the new heaven and the new earth? Righteousness. You guys are allowed to talk. Uh, please, actually. Not just allowed. I beseech you. Please talk. <laughs> uh, so the word, the word for righteousness there in this passage, uh, it, it literally means what is deemed right by the Lord or uh, righteousness of which God is the author. Um, so what the author of this passage is saying is that we are looking forward to, as followers of Jesus, a time and a place where righteousness dwells, right? The new heavens and the new earth 
is a place that, that is as God intended, right? Everything is right. Everything is made to be and remains as it should be in that place. So we can look all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, um, all the way in Genesis at the creation narrative, and, and we can see how God intended things to be initially, right? We, we can see how he originally designed everything. He, he designed each and everything, if you go back and, and read it, so that all things, that all people, that all aspects of life would be taken care of, people would be provided for, and, and they would have everything that they need. That was his intention, right? But, but uh, you and I also experience on, I would say, a daily, maybe even hourly basis, um, just how that design has been broken by the effects of sin, right? We, we all know uh, of people who have, have tragically lost their lives um, far too early. We've, we've seen friends and, and family members get sick. We, we've experienced relational hurt and brokenness uh, between friends, between family. Um, we've seen some horrible effects of, of generational oppression, all these different things that are a result of sin that broke God's design. But what we see here in this passage is that we have a promise, right? So all of those, those things that are a, a result of sin, those are all examples of how life should not be, right? Those are, those are things that shouldn't happen. But here in Second Peter, like I said, we have a promise that God will one day bring us back to how everything was intended to be. So to use another word from the Bible um, for this, God will ultimately restore justice. He will restore justice, right? So those words, righteousness and justice, um, those two words, they're often found side by side all throughout the Bible. And we're gonna look at an example of that here in a second. Um, but actually one translation for that Second Peter passage that we just looked at, actually translate it, instead of where righteousness dwells, it says a place where justice rules, right? And, and even looking broader at scripture, we see those two words, righteousness and justice, used together as what's called fixed companion words, which means they just, one is not used without the other, functionally, and we, we see that over 50 times in the Old Testament, words that are used to explain one another. Um, so no matter where you fall, um, whether it's politically or socially, economically, any of those things, I think in general, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in general, uh, most people can agree that the world is not perfect. Can we agree on that? I think so, right? Everything is, is pretty obviously not as it should be, right? At the same time, though, um, I think when, when I bring up the word justice specifically, um, especially since it seems like such a big buzzword today in our society, um, I'd be willing to bet that it conjures up all kinds of different thoughts in your mind, right? I'm sure if we pulled this room and I said, what do you think of when I say justice? Uh, I think uh, it, would, it would be all over the spectrum of what you may think of when you hear that word. Um, for some people, you may hear that and you may be like, yes, absolutely, I am so on board with that. Bring on change, tear down corrupt systems. Absolutely, I'm all in, right? Uh, but other people may hear that word and they may think like, here we go again. People just doing their best to find something to complain about and say that they wanna tear something down, right? They, it could be a whole spectrum and anywhere in between. There's, there's plenty of things that it could conjure up in your mind. 
Uh, but regardless, regardless of what your initial response may be, we have to acknowledge that justice at its core is a biblical concept, right? We, we have to acknowledge that the Bible is the source of justice. So it's definitely important that we as followers of Jesus define that word and define all the words that we're going to be talking about the way that the Bible defines it, right? That's where we have to go for that. And that's where we're going to spend some time this morning, seeing what, what exactly the Bible has to say about justice. Um, but it's also important that we, that we don't just write off the idea completely of justice before we get to the biblical definition, uh, just because of its political connotations or, or social connotations or whatever you may think. So I would love for you to bear with me as we go through this. Um, like I said earlier, in the Old Testament specifically, the ideas of justice and, and righteousness are tied together in really interesting ways. So one, one cool example of this is in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 20. It'll be up on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. Um, but it says, I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice. Um, so if you're not familiar with the book of Proverbs as a whole, uh, in general, uh, a lot of it is written in what's called couplets, um, which is basically the second half of a verse or the second half of a phrase helps clarify and describe the first half. Um, so in this passage, the author is saying, I walk in the way of righteousness. This sounds like a great idea, right? I'd love to walk in the way of righteousness. Seems good. Uh, but how is he going to make sure that he's walking the way of righteousness? Right? He follows it up with a clarifying statement by saying, I'm going to do that by following along the paths of justice. Right? So it'd be kind of like saying, um, if I were to come up to you and I, and I say, I'm going to be a healthy person. I'm going to change my diet and eat better. Right? The, the second statement that I said, I'm going to change my diet and eat better, I'm explaining to you how I'm going to go about the first part. I want to be healthy. How am I going to do it? By eating healthier. So the second thing that I said further clarifies what the first thing means. So based on that, I think it's, it's safe to say according to Scripture, righteousness cannot dwell like we just talked about where justice is not done. Right? Righteousness cannot dwell where justice is not done. So I think um, one reason that, that justice as a word or as a concept um, can feel so political or, or uh, polarizing is, is because we have different definitions, like I said, of justice and, and ideas on how we go about enacting justice. Um, so if you think about it, there's a lot of different ways that you, could, that you could say that. For example, an eye for an eye. That's a form of justice, right? Paying back somebody. But if you carry that to its logical conclusion or something in that vein, you end up treating someone who, who may have accidentally hurt somebody exactly the same way as you would someone who maliciously set out to hurt someone in the first place, right? And I, I don't think a lot of us want to necessarily live in a world where that's true. Um, another way to think of it, survival of the fittest, right? The strong eating the weak. That's a form of justice, right? From the world standards. But in reality, I don't think that's a world that a lot of us want to see. And so, again, if you carry that to its logical conclusion, there, there's no room to protect the weak or the marginalized or the oppressed, right? So as followers of Jesus, we actually need to look to Jesus 
and to scripture and how he defines justice and how he enacts justice. So according to the Bible, what exactly is justice? Um, One biblical scholar, um, his name is Bruce Waltke, it's a fun name, Um, he put it this way. He says the word mishpat, which is justice, the, the original word, the word mishpat and its companion word tzedakah, or righteousness, in the Old Testament concludes that the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. Right? The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. And the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. So I think that's a really helpful description of what the Bible says justice is, right? Justice is, is being willing to disadvantage yourself to advantage someone else. So our mindset towards, towards justice, according to Scripture, would be our perspective towards, uh, towards the weak or, or the poor or the marginalized, right? That's what Scripture is talking about when justice is mentioned, it's saying that, that human beings are created in the image of God. We say this all the time here, the Imago Dei. And as a result, they are worthy of dignity and love and equity and all of those things as image bearers of Christ. Right? And so justice is giving people what they're due as image bearers of God. Right? And, and they are due everything that any other image bearer of God is due and every other image bearer of God deserves. So let's talk about some specifics through, through Scripture. So what does it mean, right? What, is, what does it look like to do justice? What does, uh, what does it look like for us to participate in that as followers of Jesus? So let's look at some different passages throughout Scripture. So these, again, are going to be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to write these down, you can. Um, so let's start in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Right, so this one's pretty interesting to me because it just comes right out and says, uh, do right, right? Do what is right. And it's saying that doing what is right is seeking justice. It's the first line in that, in that verse, right? It's defending the oppressed. It's taking up someone else's cause, It's not saying in this passage that doing right and seeking justice is uh, apologizing and repenting for directly hurting someone, right? We should be doing that, but that's not what it says. It says doing right and seeking justice is defending in general, right? Whether that person's oppression is your fault or not, that is what doing right and seeking justice is. Purely because that person is oppressed, we seek justice for them. All right, the next one takes it a bit further. We're still in Isaiah, but a few pages over in Isaiah 10, verses 1 and 2. This says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. So according to this passage, um, God is not just opposed to unjust individuals, right? It also says uh, that he's opposed to unjust laws, right? Any law that, that has a par- as a part of its motivation 
uh, disadvantaging the poor or disadvantaging the widow or the fatherless or, or di- intentionally disadvantaging anyone, that's also injustice. Right? God, God doesn't just command us to not live unjust lives, but he specifically speaks against those who pass laws that oppress certain people groups. Right? So anytime a law is passed that knowingly and consciously makes life harder for the poor, the orphan, any of those categories that we listed, God says that he is against that law. Right? He is against it because it is against his goal for the earth. And, and listen, based on those definitions of justice, uh, you, you may disagree with the actual definition that I'm, that I'm using from this, um, but what that really comes down to is, is, I think you may just be disagreeing with the Bible's definition of justice, right? We may all have our own definitions, but, but we have to be willing to admit that if it's different than that, then it's not the Bible's definition. But what we are talking about today is God's definition, of justice. All right, so if you weren't already aware uh, before today, I would like to inform you that justice is a, is a big deal in Scripture, right? Uh, it's certainly something that God cares quite a bit about. You can look all throughout the Old Testament, like I said, where, where he talks about all the different ways that he wants to see and pursue justice. But in case anyone was thinking that it's only an Old Testament thing, um, take a quick look with me at Luke chapter 4. Uh, verses 16 to 21. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. It says, He, which is Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So, quick summary, in case you don't know what's going on here. Um, like I said, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry before he really sets out doing all of the things that we see him do throughout the Gospels. So he goes to the temple before all these religious leaders and, and the people who have come to the temple to learn. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah, which is where we just read some of that stuff. Um, and he reads a prophecy of someone who is coming with the Spirit of the Lord in them to proclaim freedom and justice for the oppressed. And then he looks at everybody and he says, that's me, right? So if Jesus had a mic at this point, this is when he would drop it, right? In front of everyone in the synagogue. He reads this passage everyone's familiar with. He says, someone is coming. They're going to enact justice. The spirit of God is with them. It's me. (laughs) And that's it. Like, can you imagine hearing that? This passage that you've heard over and over and over again throughout your life, and then someone comes in and basically says, like, yeah, it's not a prophecy anymore, it's a biography. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty big deal, right? So not only, like we said, is the topic of justice a big deal in general, in Scripture, uh, Jesus basically said, like, that's the reason he's there. He said, yeah, it's a, big, it's a big deal in the Old Testament. There's lots of prophecies about it. I'm here to make it happen. 
right? So it, it's a big deal in Scripture. Uh, so can we all agree, if you are a follower of Jesus, um, that if God cares about something and Jesus based a large portion of his entire ministry on it, uh, that we probably should care about it too? I think it's a safe assumption to make, right? So I do, I do want to take a, just a second um, to clarify some reasons that we don't participate in justice, or that's a weird way to say that. Some, some things that are not reasons for participating in justice. So we know that, that we want to because Jesus based his life on it, that it's such a big theme throughout Scripture, but there can also be some, some reasons that, that we may be pursuing justice that, that may not be the, the correct motivation. So I just want to clarify a few of the things that I'm not saying. Uh, I am not saying that we pursue justice because it makes us feel good, right? Uh, we, we don't pursue justice so that we can have bragging rights or so that we can have like a cool new picture for our Instagram feed of us handing something to somebody. We don't, we don't need something new in our social media just to try to tell everybody how woke we are, right? That's not why we participate in justice. We don't, we don't pursue justice uh, because it just seems like a good thing to do or, or because our favorite celebrity posted some inspiring video about some organization that they're working with. Um, here's another one that we, that we don't participate in. We don't do this to participate in justice. That may sound weird, especially if you've grown up in church. Um, you may have, have heard this a lot, but we don't participate in justice uh, just to convert people to Christianity. Right? I'm, I'm sure some of you may have heard whether, depending on your background, depending on your church experience, um, some people may have the mentality of, if you do something good for someone or you do some form of justice or you go out of your way to do something and, and that person never accepts Jesus, that was just a waste of time. Right? You should have done it for somebody who would, who would come to know Jesus. But that's not why we pursue justice. Right? As Christians, we pursue justice because we want to help make things in our world look more like the way God intended them to look, right? We, we pursue justice because it reflects the heart of God, right? We pursue justice because things are broken in our world, and we, we want to join together to push back against that darkness and oppression and, and pain and destruction that it causes. That's why we pursue justice, because, because it is the heart of God. So all that being said, um, how, how do we as followers of Jesus actively pursue justice? Um, I think the first step, honestly, um, once we understand that it is our responsibility to pursue justice, uh, it may sound a little simple, but it's, I think it's just to, to look for and actually care about injustice. To find and care about injustice. Right? That may sound a little odd, so let me explain. Um, like I said earlier, most people would agree that things are not as they should be, right? That people would agree that there's injustice of some kind all over the place. Um, I, I think most people would agree with that, but believe it or not, um, Agreeing with something has never changed anything, right? Just acknowledging brokenness and oppression doesn't push back against sin and darkness in our world. It doesn't push back against the things that are causing that brokenness. 
Right? And I, I, think, I think a lot of people here would say that uh, they really do care about some, some things that they see, injustices that they see, wrongs that they see, and I do believe that. And, and I'm sure that people spend plenty of time um, maybe talking about things that they see uh, that are off, maybe posting on social media about things that are off and all of that. And um, talking about stuff is important, right? Talking about issues is is really important. It's a great way to raise awareness. It's a great way to, to bring other people's attentions to problems that you may see or they may not see. But um, if that's where it stops, what have, what have we changed? Right? If all we do is talk about justice, what have we actually done to bring it about? What, what heaven-inspired justice have we worked for and seen? Right, I feel like uh, for a lot of us, it's really easy uh, and I, I say this, I assume it's true for other people, it's true for me a lot of the time. It's easy to feel like we've, we've checked a box of some kind for like our social bu- justice box or whatever uh, because we just happen to yell louder than somebody else in a situation like, I was louder than you, you backed down, I got the last word, justice, right? But I mean, that, that is my tendency, so if that's none of you, that's just, I'm confessing that to you now. Hopefully somebody else feels that way. Otherwise, I feel pretty bad about myself. Um, but we, we have to move and take action, right? We can't just yell louder than other people. We can't just talk about it all the time. We, we have to take actual practical steps to fight against injustice. We can't pursue justice if we're not pushing back against injustice. We have to actually care. Um, which can be hard sometimes for us. Like it's easy to care to a degree. It's easy to care just so far as I get to feel good about myself for caring about it or I get to feel better than somebody else who seems like they don't care about it as much as I do. Um, but actually caring to the point of, of being willing to take action, that's, that's an entirely different category that is only possible through the inspiration from scripture. Like I heard, I heard one pastor put it this way, um, he said, when, when your needs are met, it's very easy to not think about the needs of other people, right? When our needs are met, it's really easy not to think about the needs of other people, or it's easy to only talk about the needs of other people, or point it out to somebody else, right? It's, it's really easy to, to just stop there, but our sinful tendency at times um, actually pulls us away from pursuing justice, and it instead actually turns our focus inward, right? So when we ask the Lord to help turn our focus outward, what, what then can we do? Um, for one, we mentioned a passage earlier that specifically mentioned laws being made that were oppressive, right? Laws that were unjust to certain groups of people and how that was one example of injustice in God's eyes. So um, I think a great practical first step is to learn about your local officials, some of the things that they advocate for, the things that they push for, right? And, and we have the opportunity to, and the ability even to take part in, in making change where change is needed, right? It may sound like a really non-spiritual approach, uh, but using your right to take part in the process and actually use a, a, a vote in local elections and using your voice when unjust, injustices are being done is an incredibly practical way to start. Now, for clarity, I am not saying to go militantly align yourself with a political party. 
Not what I am saying, right? I'm talking about taking part in, in local elections where most of the change actually happens for our community. And if you didn't know, local elections are all nonpartisan. So spared you on that one. You don't have to worry about having any fights with people, right? The ones that have the most immediate impact, we can go and take part in those things. So I'm not pushing a political platform of any kind, right? But I am pushing for us to take an active role in pursuing justice at a policy level. That is something that we can and should be doing as followers of Jesus. But again, um, to some degree, I'd say that this step is somewhere in between um, using our voices and, and taking action, right? Uh, which is good. Using our voices is good, like I said, but ultimately it's not enough, right? Since a vote is really just a way to get a process started, um, if it stops there and, and we don't continue to move forward and find ways to actually be agents of justice in our community, then again, what more have we done but talk about it? So we get to actively participate in being the hands and feet to enact justice in our communities. And if you don't know where to start after that or, or in your community, I think a great place to start is, is with what a lot of theologians refer to as the quartet of the vulnerable. Um, so scripture talks over and over again, specifically when talking about justice, um, that it talks about the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the foreigner. Right? You've probably seen those groups mentioned on repeat already throughout this series, through different teachings that we have done. We've talked about it a lot, um, and also in all of the passages that we've talked about this morning. So essentially, these are four, uh, four different general groups of people that, that have consistently been victims of injustice throughout history, uh, mostly because they, they have been historically, uh, socially, and economically more vulnerable than other groups of people. So... If you really take a second to look at it, marginalized people and marginalized groups of people exist all throughout our city, right? And, and praise God that there are organizations and people who are actively working to be involved in, in those areas. I think that it, that's amazing. We're fortunate enough to live somewhere uh, where work has already begun to push back against injustices, which is something to absolutely praise God for. But I think a great step for a lot of us would be to find those groups of people, those organizations, find them and say, hey, how can I help? Right? What, what can I do to take part in the work that you are doing? What can I contribute to help push back against this injustice that you are pushing back on? Right, this is something that, that we as a church have been, have been really looking into and, and working on for quite a while. Right? We've been, as a, as a staff, we've been communicating with some different people, some different organizations throughout our city to try to identify some ways uh, that we can be most helpful in serving in, serving in our communities and, and resourcing some of the amazing work that people are doing. We've been, we've been working on that. We're going to be rolling some of those things out at a church-wide level as we get closer to Christmas. Um, something for you guys to, to pay attention for and look out, to, look out for. Um, it's really exciting for me, and it's something, it's something that we can all join together in getting excited about, right? But um, in the meantime, we can still be seeking out opportunities to partner in justice efforts. Right? You don't have to wait until we as a church uh, do a, a rollout where we've built partnerships and we've found organizations that we already work with for you to jump in. We absolutely want you to do that, but justice also comes down to individual actions, right? Individual actions 
So that could mean going around your neighborhood where you live and maybe trying to, to find needs that you can help meet, right? Maybe, maybe there's uh, some elderly in your neighborhood that, that live alone that could use help with something or maybe uh, handicapped or single parent households or, or all these different people that could use your help if you were to just look and you were to ask, right? Maybe that's what it looks like for you. Maybe, maybe for you it looks like um, respectfully but consistently putting pressure on local police departments to respond as quickly in under-resourced neighborhoods as they do in affluent neighborhoods, right? Maybe, maybe for you, it looks like uh, finding and partnering with an under-resourced school in your community. Maybe, maybe you have the, the means to, to join together with them to help improve learning conditions or classroom experiences. Maybe that's an injustice that you can look at pushing back against. Maybe, maybe you could be part of starting an organization that, that takes a stand against predatory lending companies that prey on people and exploit the poor and the elderly. Right? Maybe, maybe for you, you can be prayerfully considering opening your home for foster care. Right? Maybe that's a way that you can be individually pursuing justice. Um, but I think the, the thing that we need to really remember and the most, most tangible way for us to actually start participating in justice is to start with the source of justice, right? Remember, we said the whole reason that we are motivated to pursue this justice in the first place is because we want to pursue the heart of Jesus, right? What, what better way to begin than, than to look at Jesus as an example, Right? If, we just, if we just turn to Scripture, we can see that the bulk of Jesus' ministry was all about giving a voice to the voiceless, right? loving and welcoming the outsider, that hospitality we talked about last week, caring for the outcast, confronting oppression, and so much more that he did in his lifetime. So what if we looked at the life and the ministry of Jesus in Scripture and we just started there? Right? Jesus, Jesus didn't withdraw from people. Right? He walked alongside the oppressed. He drew close to the outcast, the destitute, the lowly. He was in relationship with, with the hurt and the marginalized. But not only that, uh, it was also his posture towards some of the oppressors of his time. Right? Jesus ate with tax collectors and Pharisees, and these people who were often agents of oppression in their society. But Jesus engaged with these people. Now, how did he do it? He did it through relationships, right? Not shying away from it, not backing down, but actively pursuing people out of love and a desire to see their hearts become more like his, right? And we have to look at his example because he's the whole reason, right? He's the reason for any of this. Right? That's what we have to remember. What, what God did for us in sending Jesus is the only reason that we would do any of this. Like we, have, we have been shown unbelievable, immeasurable grace. Right? Do you realize that? Like we, we were completely lost and separated from God because of sin. But but God decided to send 
Jesus to cover the whole cost, to extend that grace, to pay for you with his life. Right? Everything that we have is a gift of grace. And that is the motivation for all of this. And, and some of us, honestly, may not like hearing that. Some of us, that may be a, an incredibly hopeful thing to hear, that yes, everything I have is a gift of grace. But some people may be thinking, well, sure, but I also, like, I worked pretty hard. Like, you know, I put, in, I put in my dues, I pulled myself up on my bootstraps, I worked hard, and that's why I'm, I'm doing pretty well in life. Right? Things are good. I put in the work. Um, but, but to that, uh, there's a pastor, his name's Tim Keller up in New York. Uh, he, he puts that mentality in perspective really, really well, I think. And sometimes, like I said, it's not something we like to hear, but it, it, to me, I feel like it's really encouraging and a good reminder that what we have is all a result of grace. So Tim Keller gives this illustration where he, he says, if you were born on a mountain in Tibet in the eighth century, it doesn't matter how hard you work. It wouldn't matter how driven you are, right? It wouldn't matter how much you were wanting to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Ultimately, you wouldn't have much to show for it, right? You didn't choose where you would be born. You didn't work hard to be born in America in the 20th century. Someone may have, but you didn't decide that, right? Some of us didn't work hard for our parents to set us up for success, right? But everything that we have is a result of God's grace. And that's something that we have to understand and something that we get to celebrate. And that's, that's the reason for all of this, right? For anything that we have, but also not just for what we have, for what we're working for. Because of the grace that we have been shown, how, how could we not extend that grace to others? Right? The, the phrase that I've heard mentioned before is, is it's God's grace that makes us just. Right? When we understand the, the magnitude of God's grace towards us and for us, how could that not inspire that in us? How could it not inspire us to try to pursue those things for other people? Right? When, when we understand the extent to which we have been shown grace, we then show grace and extend it to others as we pursue justice. So as we wrap up, um, over the last seven weeks, we, we've spent a lot of time um, talking about different ways uh, of, of bringing a picture of heaven to earth. Um, in light of the promises that we've been given that, that one day all things will be restored in the new heaven and the new earth. We, we've seen different practice, practices that, that we can participate in to begin that process now, right, in our day-to-day -day lives. That's what this whole series has been about. How can we be bringing heaven to earth today? And all of these are, are beautiful realities that we're invited into. If you haven't listened to the, to the other six teachings from this series, I think it would be really helpful in painting that, that picture. But I want to make sure that I take the time as we finish, um, just to tie that all together. Um, I, I think a, a temptation that I have noticed, uh, especially in the American church, is, is um, kind of the temptation to find a groove to settle into, right? Uh, I, I think especially in a, uh, a hyper-individualistic society, 
uh, we, we tend to prioritize ourselves and our agendas first. Doesn't mean we don't care about other things, but we prioritize ourselves first a lot of the time. Um, and then we'll take a second to, to see what we need to tweak here and there to maybe squeeze in a little spiritual aspect. Um, I, I feel like we tend to comb through different, uh, different aspects of Scripture and different, different things that we can identify with uh, or things that we can get on board with and picking some of those things and saying, I can handle that aspect of Christian life. Yeah. I can definitely get on board with that, and I can still maintain my current lifestyle. It's a win-win. Uh, but somebody else with a different lifestyle than me and some different preferences than me, they can find a different command in Scripture that maybe fits their lifestyle, and they can, they can pick up the slack on that one, and I'll take care of the one that suits me. Um, but can I just remind us that that's not a life outlined in Scripture, right? So the, the past seven weeks, what we've been doing is, is not going through seven different suggestions uh, for followers of Jesus to maybe pick the ones that you feel best about, like the one that seems like the, the most accessible or the easiest or the most fun or whatever it may be. It, it hasn't been going through and identifying different things that you might be able to participate in. What, what we've been doing the past seven weeks is, is just giving reminders of seven different things that every follower of Jesus is called to, right? Seven things that we are all invited to participate in. And it's not just seven things. We've spent seven weeks in this series, but there are so many more than seven things for us to participate in as followers of Jesus. But like I said, the most important thing that we have to remember for this is, is the reason, right? We, we don't pursue all of these things so that God will approve of us, right? We don't have to make sure that we check all of these boxes so that finally God will look at us and say, now, now I love you because you did all of these things. Right? That's not what we're doing. We're not pursuing it so that people will look at us admiringly saying, wow, look how much they're doing. They're fighting so hard. That's great. Props to City Church for, for taking a stand and doing something. That's not, that's not why we're doing it. That's not why any of us want to do that. We're not pursuing it for those reasons. We don't reorient our lives to make ourselves feel better about what we've accomplished in life. We re reorient our lives as followers of Jesus because it's worth it, right? Because of the grace that we've been shown, how could we not? Right? We, we do it because the life that Jesus invites us into is worth everything, he paid everything to give us the opportunity to be in relationship with him, and now how could we not give everything to, to try to see his kingdom furthered? How could we not give everything to try to give other people the opportunity to be in right relationship with him? Right? And he, he invites us to take part in bringing that reality to the rest of the world. Right? That's what this series has been all about. That's what we want all of us to be pursuing and, and growing in as we look to, to the Jesus of the Bible, that we would see what he was all about, that we would see what he cared about, that we would see the way that he went about interacting with and loving people and pushing back against injustice, and that we would use that as an example, that that would be something that we can join him in doing as we join together with each other in doing that in our city and, and beyond. So, I would love for us to, 
as we end this series, um, yeah, I think, I think it'd be a really cool opportunity to see some amazing things happen in our city. I think um, in our city, in our, in our church, in our life groups, I think as we grow in our understanding of what it means um, for our lives to look more like Jesus, uh, I, think, I think we're going to start seeing some incredible Incredible things that are after Jesus' own heart happening in our city as we push back against darkness and try to bring aspects of heaven to earth. But I would love to pray to that end for us. God, we just um, first want to thank you uh, for what you... um, for what you accomplished for us. Um, thank you for, for the way that you designed things to work, um, that you designed things uh, there, where there's no pain and there's no suffering and there's no injustice and no one is uh, oppressed and no one is hurt. And um, that is how you designed things to be. And thank you so much that we have a promise that you are coming to restore that reality. Um, That you will wipe away every tear, that you will restore lives, that you will restore your creation to the way that it was intended. And we thank you that we have that reality, but also thank you that you invite us to participate in that now. That you don't invite us to, to sit around and wait for you to come back one day, but you invite us to, in light of the grace that we've been shown, live a life that is after your own heart, that we would pursue the things that you pursued, that, that we would care about the things that you care about. And I, I just thank you that, that we have you to look to as an example of what love is and what justice is and that we don't have to do it alone because you, you are with us, but more than that, um, we have the body of believers with us and we are all with one heart and one mind able to pursue the things that your heart is after. Um, yeah, I, I pray that as we, as we go out into our city um, after today and going forward that um, we, would, we would be filled with the understanding of of your heart and your desire for how things should look and that we would then be able to shift our perspective to be able to look for the things that you would look for, to look at things the way that you would look at them and, and then to, to pursue justice as you would pursue justice as we get to participate in bringing a, a piece of what heaven will look like um, in our lives now. Thank you that we get to participate in that and thank you that we have the freedom to do it because of what you have done for us. Yeah, God, I would pray for hearts to be uh, realigned with you. Um, That all of our our selfish ambitions or anything that is not of you would just fall to the side. Um, That we would be able to start with, with you, with your heart, with your desires, with your with your eyes of, of how things are supposed to look and that we would be able to, because of the grace and love that we've been shown, pursue those realities. 
pursue restoring things to the way that you intended them to be. I just pray for boldness as we go about that, that we would look to you as that example, that we would look to you for strength, and that we would continue to look to you for motivation because that's the only way that it's possible. And we just pray for you to move, that we would see, uh, that we would see you and your spirit working so clearly uh, throughout our church and throughout our city. And we would get to celebrate that reality together as we see your, your kingdom grow here in Knoxville. Yeah, and thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.